Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone, James Azar here with the new brand new furbished CISO talk podcast. It is our inaugural episode. I've taken content that was on our old channel and dedicating it where it's just practitioner talk all day, nothing else. That's all you get to listen to. A new interview format style. Thanks to our focus group out at RSA. We've listened. We've done it. I've got a very, very special guest for our inaugural episode. You guys have seen him before on our virtual summit with our friends over at Snack. Greg McCord wearing his black hat shirt supporting black hat greg <laughs> how's it how's it hey man it's uh, it's it's going on man um it's been a been an interesting last few weeks since the last time we chatted but uh, happy to say that we're securing the world just a little bit better than we were yesterday and the day before so super excited it, it, it's a really super exciting time i think for a lot of reasons if you're smart and you're good in security and We'll definitely find out about our audience. We'll definitely find out more about that here in a moment. Um, but oh, you're able to you're you're able to use this um, crisis to really increase your awareness and your influence within the organization. You're able to really step up and show leadership and and really kind of demonstrate to maybe the CEO why the CISO should be his best friend and not the CIO. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and I, I have a nice little rap quote for that. Uh, Shoot, maybe a little bit later. No, no, you, give you it. it I want to hear right. it right now. What's the rap quote now? So uh, he's, he's one of my favorite rappers, is Little Dicky. So um, he was mentioning uh, uh, to, it was the which rapper he was. Oh, it was a professional rapper, and um, and essentially what he what he says is, okay, well, my name's Little Dicky, professional rapper. He's talking to Snoop Dogg, and he says, I want to do this whole thing different. Traditionally, people have been doing the job the same kind of way for a long time. You don't know if I if it could be working even better. It fits fits this perfectly. Fits amazing. Um, you know, as we're in this pandemic and states are slowly starting to open up again, right? They're now opening like barbershops and nail salons. You know, for us here in Georgia, people are saying it's the end of the world. Colorado's opening up just like us, and no one's saying it's going to end, end the world in Colorado. I guess people are so stoned in Colorado, they don't really care. Um, it's like, uh, he's opening. What do you mean? He's opening the state up. Oh, I can go get my hair done. Who cares? I'm just smoking pot and ordering Uber Eats. And <laughs> we, and, yeah, I'm starving. 
Let's get some funnions, man. Uh, <laughs> funnions. Funnions and Cheetos. Yeah. And Funnions and Cheetos are like the ultimate stoner snack. No comment. No comment. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, we'll keep this HR appropriate for today. So, Greg, kind of having you back is great. Um, you and I have spoken like I think a few times since our last podcast and I absolutely love your energy, love your insight. And I really wanted to kind of take this chance to really give you your own stage to introduce yourself, talk a little bit about how you got into cybersecurity, a little bit about your background, um, you know, your education, if, if, if you know, that counts and any mentors that really brought you to the level where you're at today, because you are the uh, global head of information security for Calamp. And just tell our audience a little bit about Calamp, because I don't think a lot of people know what Calamp really is. So Calamp by itself uh, deals a lot around the logistical space in terms of transportation, uh, secure data analytics uh, for a lot of our customers. Um, and these are large uh, customers that do a lot of the delivery, uh, which I won't say the names because I didn't get that approval. Darn it. Um, uh, and what they they deliver packages <clears throat> and uh, throughout the United States and throughout the globe. Um, so we do a lot of that fleet optimization, uh, transportation um, optimization, uh, providing secure communication for them. But we're better known for one of our uh, rec- not recent, but three years ago, an acquisition we made, LoJack. Uh, so we also have stolen vehicle recovery, which I find also fascinating technology. Um, and uh, that's one of, and that's really part of our portfolio. So cool stuff. Uh, great, great technology. We're in the IoT space. If you if you want to go even higher higher than that, abstract it out. Um, and it's and it's a wild west. A lot of fun. Um, I mean, I already lost my hair like the first month. I'm kidding. It's been gone for a while. It, um, it seems like it just <laughs> dropped out. I mean, ult- ultimate joke, though, is when I was in college, um, my, the only year I ever went to, to college, I was with my roommates. And um, I, I used to love to prank my roommates, like before it was cool to do it and put it on Facebook. And I took one nice of my... Face. And and yeah, so I had a really good friend. His name was Ryan. And I won't say his last name. I don't want to embarrass him. And Ryan had beautiful hair. He didn't have my marine bus cut kind of hair. You know, like you and I, we see guys with beautiful hair. We look at them in awe. We just go, man, I wish I could just run my fingers through like a healthy, thick set of hair. We can't. We just. Pre-COVID though, but definitely not now. (laughs) Definitely not now. And I emptied out his shampoo and I put Nair inside and just stood outside a shower and heard him scream as hair was just coming. He had missing patches of hair all over his scalp. He wore a beanie for like two and a half months. He looked like uh, Kyle from South Park. I'm not going to say that my, my group of friends and I never did that. Uh, there, there are... <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't tell you where they did it, but it, it happened. And I, I know that I also did a test and where where that hair is supposed to be no longer uh, exists. It's been gone forever. So, no, it's not up here. That's stress. I was going to be like, wow, that, <laughs> that nair really does work magic on your scalp. Maybe that's why Ryan hasn't spoken to me in like 15 years. <laughs> 
<laughs> Probably not. He's like Rogaine, please. Rogaine. <laughs> Just go to Turkey and get a hair implant. They're really popular there. Um, so tell us a little, before we before we go completely off track. We're recording yeah. this. It is a Friday, folks. Um, and this is our first episode, so just bear with us as we banter a little bit. But I think a lot of a lot, you know, as we got, kind of go through this interview, we, we do like to banter a little bit, and that's that's quite okay. I think most of the feedback I get is always people love our sense of humor and banter. We don't just want to be a bunch of, you know, suit ridden. If you wanted to be a suit guy, you wouldn't be in security. You'd probably go be a CFO or a COO or a CEO or something. So I'm glad I didn't wear my jacket this time. Thanks. I'm, I'm glad you didn't either. First time you wore a jacket, I was like, wow, everyone's really dressing up for this. I'm in my black t-shirt. I'm wearing a hoodie today. A hoodie. And that's only because I'm in my basement. It's a bit chilly in Georgia. It's been raining. And mm-hmm. um, and I'm wearing my Wounded Warrior Project hoodie. So for those looking to contribute to a charity, Wounded Warrior Project, really Awesome, 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 awesome people, awesome folks, just amazing, and donate there. Please, please, please support them because they support the people who come back and really um, are, are are left with nothing. They may not have any family left. They they come back suffering from injuries and trauma that really changes the course of their lives, and they could definitely use the support. And Wounded Warrior Project is there to do that. Having now said the War- Wounded Warrior Project promotional here early on, eight minutes into our interview, I'll now kick it back to you so you can tell us about your background, Greg. <laughs> about your background, Greg, and how about you got started background. in cyber. So how I got started, um, like most in the uh, information security space or cybersecurity space, I uh, started off on IT. Um, very technical background, uh, me personally. But even before that, I was a hardcore gamer. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm playing on computers, playing all these video games, you know, mid-90s, you know, late-80s video games, which are you know, fantastic. Um, but I was like, I, I got to the time where I, I needed to go to school. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't I don't want to be an accountant, even though I did study that a little bit. And I, I don't want to be all these other things because, you know, it's not gaming. It's not playing on computers. I'm like, well, I'll find it. Then they called it, uh, what the heck did they call it? I forgot what it was. Um, but it was essentially IT. Then I then I immersed myself in the networking, and then I saw um, a lot of fun in trying to find out what people are doing. Meaning, like, how how are they getting into the networks, and how are they getting out of the networks? Like, where's my data going? So I always thought that to be fascinating. So that was about uh, give or take twenty years or so ago. Um, and and kind of my my passion, I, I kind of hit on it, and I always thought that the inter- internet was truly fascinating to me. Like, and the ways that people use it, and I'm trying to talk about the good things, of course, not not the 50% of what it used for today. <laughs> but, you know, I, I always thought it was a great avenue for information sharing. And I, I mean, personally, I always thought the Internet should be free to some extent, right? Um, but, but that also comes with its own baggage. So, and kind of some mentors, like, like, like what really flipped that switch for me to get me out of the IT space and to something to protecting data and not just manipulating it. Um, uh, one of my close good friends nowadays, uh, he was my mentor at the time, Reza Solari. Um, he worked for Pacific Life Free out in the UK. Um, he's their BISO. Um, so he's the one that, you know, he showed me kind of the world of InfoSec and cybersecurity and said, hey, like, here's here's what the differences are. And you're already doing it. Now expand upon that and take, and, and take the world as your canvas, so to speak. Um, so him and I were great friends. We speak almost on a daily basis, even to this day. Um, 
but then once I've gotten out of the, you know, kind of gotten out of IT in the cybersecurity space, you know, I had to get an education to say that I, I could do InfoSec because, you know, some companies want to see the see the paper and a certification like a CISSP and, and we, we got stories about CISSPs. But um, Join so the you club. start off. <laughs> where each and every one of us is very unique. Anyway, um, I have a bachelor's and yep, I see squared. That is a, if people want to Six save the five. environment, Get rid of this book. <laughs> I don't think I read the book, though. Anyway, um, yeah, I got a bachelor's in, in computer science. I got, um, and I, I'll try not to get myself too big of a head here, uh, a master's of information security and assurance, and then I've got another master's for MBA for executives. Um, and I, I think, uh, and I'll kind of explain a little bit later, too, is like, why did I go that path? Because one is kind of a broad scope and anything that, that, that deals with data, because I've been talking about data for a lot now. Um, that's why I'm in the company I'm in today. It's about data and how to better improve kind of what that what that means. Um, but, but that's what the first degree was about. But then I said, well, I need to get something on the books that is information security driven. And then that's where I got the master's in information security and assurance. And then the MBA for executives to work on, well, now I know all this technical stuff. Now, how do I talk to others about it? Because I'm, I'm sure that they don't want to talk in ones and zeros when all they want to know is, are we secure? Well, and, and, so. and executives want to know bottom line, right? Like, how yeah. much risk are we dealing with? What does it mean to our organization? And, you know, three, four years ago, the conversation used to be how do CISOs um, properly communicate with the board and with executive leadership? I think that conversation's long gone now. It's yeah. it's it's now about how do you – it's not about how you communicate with the board or – executive leadership anymore it's about mm-hmm. how do you uh, uh look at your risk um how do you communicate that within the organization and how do you measure um your overall organizational security right and i uh, i will challenge the kind of the board piece there a little bit though um because when you join an organization let's say uh, in, in an executive capacity or you lead a department you still generally have like the first hundred days right you got to figure out what's going on what do i need to do for the next six months yada yada but um, the first time you interact with the board, the, that is your first impression. And what, what do we call that in the NBA world? First impression bias. Right. It's called bias for a reason because once you, if you go in a negative way, it's always going to be negative when you go positive. It'll be positive until you go negative again. Um, so you've got that one impression. So the reason I talked about the NBA is I want to get through that first impression. I want to be able to show my technical chops, but I want to be, I want something meaningful to the board and say, Hey, the, our risk score today is, I don't know, a four, but then I get the chance to explain it. I said, well, this is based on a set of, you know, these criteria that everyone else is measured against. And so is information security. Um, and then, then they'll start to ask questions. It opens up questions and you can start to dive a little bit deeper. But I think to your point that now, now that you've kind of got the ears open, um, you've talked about risk. You've talked about what this really means to the organization. You've talked about materiality. It's like how much is it going to cost to move a risk medium, you know, so on and so on. Um, now you're talking to dollars and cents. Like if your CFO is like, oh, crap, it's going to cost this much. Your IT guy in the room or gal is going to be saying, okay, well, now I need to implement a new technology because we found all this risk. Yep. And then your, then your head of engineering is going to be, oh, cool. How do I add that to the pipeline? Um, that's a lot of work. But for a CISO, that's a great spot to be because now you've become uh, the security evangelist or the teacher. 
Um, and the whole intent to teach in information security is make sure we're doing the secure best practices from the beginning and not at the end. They shouldn't wait until you get to the board to say, hey, I've got a critical risk. And the board's going to say, they're going to turn around and say, what have you guys done to fix it? Um, so it's, just, it's, it's moving that needle, moving, moving the dial to where it should be. Yeah, too, too often that, that conversation is just horrendous and trying to get that your first conversation with the board matters and your due diligence in that first 100 days are even more important. Developing those relationships, getting into the second and third layer. So many times I speak to our peers and um, the one common kind of uh, uh, piece is um, – they're trying to develop these relationships, but they're taking things at face value. And you, you always know there's the underbelly and underlayer. You got to find it as quickly as possible so that you can start to address that underbelly without embarrassing anyone, without making enemies. That's not the point. But the point is to right. really just be able to kind of know how to do your job. And speaking of that, let's talk a little bit about leadership. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's there's an inherent amount of, of, of discussions around leaderships of CISOs, I think, especially with this COVID-19 um, crisis that put a lot of people at home um, instead of managing a team in, you know, your close quarters, in your SOC, in your fusion center, you're kind of managing everyone remotely. But before we get into that real quick, what are some of the key skills and qualities you look for when you're looking to hire someone to join your team? Well, I think the obvious one, one is obviously going to be the, you know, those technical skills. Like, do, do you, do you know your IT stuff, like your OSI layer? Like, describe that to me. Walk me, walk me from layer one to layer seven. Go. Um, and, and walk me kind of to, you know, describe a data flow path for me. Like, somebody's getting into the network, something's leaving the network. Describe that to me. Um, for, I also like to ask programming questions. Like, what's your favorite programming language? And, and tell me how, how you use it on a day to day basis. And most people are like, well, why do I need to know the, a programming language? Aren't, aren't I just going to manage a tool and a UI? And UI for those is a user interface. Um, no, uh, I need to try. To, I need to try to get you to understand that in this space, you need to think like the bad guy or the hacker. You need to think like them. So most of those don't care about OSI layer. They don't care about your programming language. I just need to get an understanding of where you are technically and for proficient. Um, and me asking about how, how you get in and how you get out, well, uh, when you start thinking about terms like attack simulation, which I'll talk about here in a bit too, um, you're trying to get an understanding. It's like, what, what's that low-hanging fruit that you know opened the door for them to go in and then move laterally to go, to go across your network? So how, how can I get an understanding of um, how you understand that? So I, I got to ask those different kinds of questions. Um, and then I, I've got a fun troubleshooting one, and it's, that's just... Uh, uh, tell me how to make a peanut butter sandwich. So, and, <laughs> and, and if somebody answers, well, there's bread, peanut butter, and that's it. I'm like, oh, fail, epic fail. <laughs> so so I, the, I, the right answer is you open the bread bag, take out two okay. slices of bread. Okay. Take the peanut butter out the cabinet, <laughs> right? Okay. Or wherever you store your peanut butter, the pantry. Yeah. Yeah. Take a knife out the drawer. Put the knife in the peanut butter, mix it, lay out the two slices of bread, take the knife, put it into the, open the peanut butter can, right? The peanut butter can is already open. Sorry, because I mixed the peanut butter. Take out the knife, stick it, rub it, put it together, cut off the crust if you're not a crust guy or (laughs) cut it in the middle if you're giving it to your kid. There we go. There we go. And then put it on a plate and serve it. Yeah. 
And, and that's the information I want to hear, right? I want to hear is like, okay, are they allergic to peanut butter? Ah, you didn't ask that one, right? Or like, do you like chunky peanut butter? Do you like creamy peanut butter? I mean, it's it's a it's an interesting question because. But you're what saying, I want to hear, but you're saying, make me a yeah. peanut butter sandwich, right? Yeah. So do you feel like what your standards that? a little too high? It could be. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it's 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 not. There, there's not one right answer to kind of you know go with that. I, I just want to understand kind of what their thought process is. Like how they process how how do they problem solve. To that specific, something as simple as making a sandwich. Yeah. Um, and, and have you asked questions along the way, which is kind of what I'm trying to get to, right? So, yeah, I make a peanut butter and jelly, or I make a peanut butter sandwich. Like, how do I make it? And it's like, well, is there, does it matter the type of bread I use? Or, the, you know, the, the, does it matter the type of peanut butter? And and, and then you started, uh, you mentioned some key points, which means you've already asked the questions, which I'm like, ah, perfect. Right? So I would have been, oh, okay, good. He's got it. Right? Yeah. So, and, 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 and it's okay. I mean, when you look at skill wise, right beyond the technical mm-hmm. skills, um, right. what qualities do you look for? Um, I look for, I don't want to say it's a specific quality, but I look for ambition. Um, I look for the want to do better. Uh, so other questions are, like okay i want to i want to do better in my career for x y and z and here's how i you know here's how i intend to be in five years um and then i might say okay well how can i help you get there uh, which would be my follow-up response yeah it's an interview but you're also interviewing me like you, you want to come work with you know myself and my team um so i want to see a lot of those uh, soft type of skills i want to see the, those qualities can you have a conversation with me i'm, I'm going to be leading you into this fight um, do you have that perseverance? Do you have that ambition to want to do, to do the job and, if, you know, above a hundred percent when you need to, because cybersecurity is a 24 by seven role. And I know HR says, well, we work from eight to eight to five. I'm like, <laughs> not an infosec, you don't, it's 24 seven. So expect that phone to ring, expect that phone to ring and expect to be on call and expect to have to be a, a problem solver and an efficient one at that. And there there's, yep there's an inherent challenge for people to comprehend that. Right. So, so when somebody says, I'm just going to manage you, why? Well, remember those other questions I asked about it stuff, engineering stuff, those other things you need to understand the underpinnings of your own environment. I'm asking broad questions, but once you get in, you'll see, right. Um, you're going to see all the underpinnings, like all the programming layers. Do you understand, you know, the difference in white space, the injection, the, all the different types of stuff you're going to have to understand when you're threat hunting? Somebody's in, now go find them. Oh, it's fun stuff. I love it. Yeah. Um, so many, you know, um, I ask a question that I think really helps me understand if the person has a passion for security or not. Tell mm-hmm. me about a breach you studied and why specifically that breach and what did you take out of it? And I can't tell you how many people, yeah. and, and I can't tell you how many people look at me like stare blankly and then just, um, well, let's talk about the Travelix ransomware. And I'm like, you're just pulling out a headline you read this morning. Okay. So yeah. what about that ransomware? What were the TTPs of that ransomware? How did they get in? And then they just look at you really kind of awkward. And that's when I know I'm being BSed. And that's when I know some this person's not in security for the passion. He's in yeah. it for either the money or it's just a job. It's a nine to five for him. And based on the role, you can, at least for me, I can decide whether or not I want to take that person. Right. right. Some roles you want and, a nine to five person. 
You do. You absolutely do. Like like an analyst role is somebody in there that's just you know looking at the data, providing you know outputs, right? Yeah, great. We, we we need more of you. But in some roles, uh, we need that you know extreme technical person. But I need him to be able to talk to at the same time. Yeah, you need that passion, that zest, that constant mm-hmm. um, desire to want to improve. When you think of the skills. What type of mm-hmm. skills do you think security leaders need to have in order to successfully lead their teams? So you as a, as, as, as a you know, head of uh, InfoSec, of global InfoSec, or, mm-hmm. um, or CISOs or others, I mean, you know, all, the, all these, what skills do, do you think security leaders really need to have? Well, I think first and foremost is the soft skills. You've got to be able to talk to others, whether it be in your swim lane or others. Um, and you've got to be able to communicate with your team um, on a daily basis. Now, what do I mean by communicate to your team? Um, some folks like to have one particular management style and others like, you know, and, and, and they stick to that. There's a command and control, there's a coach, there's a mentor. Um, there, there's several different types of management styles you can have. Um, I think as a leader, you've got to be able to switch off between different, different management styles at different times. Like COVID-19 is a wonderful example, terrible, terrible scenario, but wonderful example of how you can change management styles. You've had to be more empathetic because now you have folks at home that are under extreme emotional stress. So how do you deal with that? Command and control is not going to help you. Make the person more other unintended consequences, which I won't talk about here. Because emotional stress opens up a whole new can of worms for any, any leader in this environment. I mentioned perseverance. Um, I think that's absolutely key. Um, you're going to have to um, work with other folks in the organization that may not see security the same way you do. So you have to be able to persevere, um, be patient, and work with those individuals and continue to teach. Be the teacher and teach security um, and, and work with everyone there. And your project also may not may not go as planned, so 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 that's where perseverance and patience kind of kicks in there as well. Um, going back to being the teacher, like talking about risk, like my half half my job throughout the day is a business relationship manager, or in other words, a, a, a security evangelist. So I'm I'm preaching about security, I'm talking about security, but I want to teach it. I can say what I want all day long, but teaching it, making it meaningful to somebody is going to go much farther than just saying, well, this is a risk. You need to take care of it. To them, it's like, oh, great. Well, here's InfoSec again. Here's the ministry of no. Well, we don't need any of that. Um, what we need to do is be be the business enabler, be there with them, guide them through this process, um, and make sure that we protect the organization. You brought up a great thing here, and I'm going to transition off of that. So how does a security a CISO become an enterprise-wide leader? And what skills outside of security do they need to possess? Because you just brought up a, a great thing, and, yeah. and without digging too deep into it, but you know, the ministry of no, oh, here comes the guys that um, send me that phishing test that make me take that 30-minute boring online training, um, and then I have to go and talk to my boss about clicking on a link and what does that mean for the organization and yeah. so much more. So how does a CISO really become an enterprise-wide leader? in your opinion? Well, the enterprise-wide leader has got to be able to take all that information, understanding. It goes back to your earlier comment we talked about um, learning. So it's about the relationships, right? So going back and chatting with everyone in each department, every silo could be in your organization as well, and understanding their concerns. Um, Because 
the reason why most CISOs get into this ministry of no business because, hey, I found a risk and I'm getting fed up about it. I want to send this email out with your boss, you know, and you're supposed to fix it. So now, now that's kind of put the stigmata on, on you and your team. Like, oh, great, here we go. Here, here's Greg again, and here's here's InfoSec. Here's Chatty right? Betty. Here's here's Tattletail yeah. Betty. Snitches um, get here's stitches. Another one. Yeah. And you know, some folks, you're you're just going to have that in your organization, and and you're never going to win, right? Um, but understanding that and knowing what kind of what those gotchas are with each individual um, is paramount to how you're going to you know grow that program and make it succeed in the future. Um, you've got to be able to work with others. So just you know that that's top. You've got to be able to work with others. You got to be able to you know speak their language too. I brought I brought up the CFO piece, like speaking the numbers game. Like, like, what does it mean? What is risk materiality? What is the return on control? Like, well, what are those things? What's well, a four risk score mean to the company from a bottom line perspective? If an event happened, which you're at mm-hmm. a four risk score instead of a 10, what does that really yeah. mean to the company, to its insurance policy, to its premiums, to its performance, to its uh, exactly. shareholders? Um, you know, it, it's like you said, you have an MBA in business. Um, and, and that's so important. I think more CISOs need to go down that route. Because I feel like that's how you start to understand business. I, I remember early on in security, listening to being at different events and listening to a lot of these conversations, the, the main kind of concern or the main thing a lot of people spoke about was um, a lot of times CISOs understood security but didn't understand business, didn't understand how the company made money, um, didn't under, didn't inherently understand how the company operated, how different teams operated. And, and yep. so they were always at a disadvantage because they were so security focused that that's how they became the ministry of no. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like your, your business background taking that MBA really helped you excel in that department? Uh, I think it presented a, a fantastic opportunity for anyone in information security. And what I mean by that is, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to do those things. I'm going to learn how to talk with, you know, others in the organization. I'm going to, um, talk with, an, uh, with another couple of groups and that's marketing and sales. And, and this is where the opportunity presents itself. Um, you now have an opportunity to, to sell your information security team and or security data to others outside of your organization. Right. Found, you know, critical vulnerability, you must patch it within our patch policy. Oh, yay. Fun. Right. Um, and then trying to get, you know, the, the, the respective teams to remediate or mitigate or file risk acceptance. But uh, now you have an opportunity to say, well, this is all the stuff I'm doing with the data. How can I sell that to our customers? And I, I think that's a fascinating proposition. And then you build your, your subscription model around that. Um, and then not only does your cost center be Become not a cost center now; it's a revenue center. Huh. So you, you get another business enabler, I think, for the organization. If if we can get that in front of the boards, my 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 fellow CISOs, man, that's that's fantastic. It, I love it, to hear the story. It, it, it's it's absolutely fantastic. I think when you go and you say, "Hey, we're generating this much revenue, we're doing th- this much stuff." We we had a conversation, I think, um, a while ago. I think the first time I had Mark hopped. Um, he's the CISO for DataBank on the show. Okay. Um, he, we were talking about how in the data center game, the CISO is not only respons- responsible for security, they're also pretty much a, a, a walking salesperson. Every company that wants to use a data center is sending their, their CIO or CISO to go and figure out what security measures 
are being used and what are they responsible for and what are we responsible for in the environment of a data center. And, yeah. and there, there's, you know, as we, everyone transitions to the cloud now and people have to understand clouds are, is essentially data centers, folks. Somebody else, somebody else's data center. Yep. yep. You're, you're using Amazon's, Microsoft's, Google's data bank, whoever. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, so that, that inherently has to do that kind of transitioning a little bit from leadership to security. Mm-hmm. What aspect of secure, security and part of your security pro- program do you spend the most time on? And, and why specifically that portion of it? Uh, depends on the time of day, but like in my role today, it's it's really the business relationship management or security evangelism. Um, I've when I when I publish things within the organization, when I'm you know part of a program is rolling out, or you know X Y Z, we found this, we found that. I've got to be able to go in front of each one of those uh, leaders and you know evangelize. Why teach? those types of things. So I spent a majority of my day doing that. Um, but you know, when, you know, proverbial thing hits the fan, well, my, my day changes immediately. And I, pens and papers are down. I'm focused on, okay, what's going on? What is this a breach? Is the data get out? Um, how, how do I, you know, uh, make sure that that doesn't become public news, uh, or does it need to, right? It's because, you know, the environment's much different today than it was 20 years ago. Now you have to publicly, you know, disclose some of that information. I've been fortunate enough that we haven't had a scenario like that, and I hope no one on this call tries to make that happen. But <laughs> uh, so far, we've been good. Knocking on wood. Me, so. t- me too. Um, I-, I think the fact is, yeah, d- I think data breach notification is is is, is problematic, um, based also on the legal landscape of how you have to report it per state, per attorney general. The cost of it is just overwhelming. Um, there's now a federal data notification bill. Uh, that was written by Senator Portman, I believe. Um, really? Okay. Um, I can send you. Do you want me to send you the link? Oh yeah, please, please, yeah. Because I know there's SEC reporting. There's you know CCPA's got its got its own reporting mechanisms. Same with GDPR. So this these is countries suppo- got their own. So, yeah. yeah uh, the, I think the one aspect in the U.S. that Congress actually needs to get off their tail outside of just, you know, bailing businesses out, out right now in, in, in a time where we need to help companies is mm-hmm. on this cyber aspect of it with having a federal privacy law and a federal data notification law that overrides state law. Um, that allows you to go and, you know, if it's a report to the FTC, report to the FTC. If it's reported to the, you know, FCC, whoever, FAA, I don't care. Drop down list. Yeah, just have a drop down list and just, you know, here's a form that, so, well, here's how you report to this one. And you fill in the and, form. And let, and let the feds deal with it. Let them be the lead and, and mm-hmm. so forth is, is needed desperately because the cost of data breach notification is expensive. And it increases the cost of a cyber attack. In fact, um, in one survey I saw, a predominant amount of businesses, you know, the reason small businesses fail from a breach isn't the reputational harm. It's the data breach notification costs. They'd rather go bankrupt than go pay a lawyer, you know, $300,000 to go notify all their customers of a data breach. And that's minimum three hundred grand. I mean, we saw with yeah. the city of Atlanta, they, they were paying, uh, they paid a retainer of $650,000 to their legal team to start working on that breach. And that That's was a insane. ransomware attack. I mean, but it's true. I mean, it's, it's a hundred percent true. Right. Um, I, and, 
And if I had any statisticians on the line, you said, "Oh, I can't believe you said 100 percent." But yeah, you, you know, but it, it, it's a testament that it, it's a it's a fact that you're going to spend a ton of money on breach notifications, um, and there, there's fallout to you internally. Yeah, we we made this law so we can you know notify you know your your consumers of a breach, but you can nearly bankrupt a company doing so. Right, and then, and then conversely, somebody might say, "Well, shouldn't you protect your stuff to begin with?" I'm like, "Well, risk is ever evolving." You have to give us a chance. Risk is ever evolving. We saw that with the Citrix thing earlier this year, right? I mean, so many large enterprises use Citrix. So many. So many were impacted by that. So if all of them suffered a breach, do you go after them or do you go after Citrix? Mm. Who's responsible? Right. It, it changes the landscape because, and it depends on the regulation you're talking about too, because right. regulations say you can. You can literally go after every single person who had your data in that chain. Correct. Wow. Right. And how impactful is that? And now I'm pretty sure there's some out there because we're 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 so happy, right? That they're actually doing that and they're making a ton of money off that. And like, why do I need to get a job when I can just sue people for the rest of my life? Right. right? I mean, let me just go <laughs> fill out my data in every single company that is going to suffer a breach, and. Yep. And let me just wait for my data to get somewhere and, and, and sue them. And I think I think after Equifax, I think people realize that consumers ain't getting crap and the lawyers made all the money on that one. Oh, and it was hilarious how, how the website they set up was, you know, fished anyway. It's just, oh my God, that was great. So many <laughs> lessons to learn from the yes. Equifax breach. So many to take in and just... Um, <sighs> You know, it's, it's, it's the ultimate playbook. So kind of looking at security projects, what security projects did you enjoy working on the most? I mean, have you, have um, you guys, have you done any implementation or any cool security stuff where you go, I'm really proud of this and it was a lot of fun to do it? I think one of my favorite implementations was implementing a CASB type solution. Uh-huh. So how do you, how do you integrate that into one, your desktop? Well, I don't think too many people are using desktops anymore. Your laptop, your your mobile devices, and how do you get it to work without hindering, you know, the business? How how do you how do you get that to work without you know stopping operations or production? Uh, I, I it was a lot of work on the back end, but it was fun to see see that you know finalized. Like, look, I've got DLP in place. I've got you know on demand VPNs. I've got all this cool stuff I've implemented, all with you know one rock. I you know. Um, I killed a lot of birds with that one rock, and it was and relatively quick. Now, some of the the challenges with it was, and it was uh, actually helpful to the organization was, um, you had to do this kind of application rationalization type of project, like where is your data going, which also ties into CCPA and GDPR. So there's there's a lot tied into that, right? Um, because you don't want to block the you know the applications that somebody needs to get to, but you still want to understand what's going on. Um, uh, you, you do want to block the bad stuff, right? And you want to make sure you have some configuration settings in there uh, for so for whatever other guardrails that, that a company may have. So it's a lot of fun, and, and you're able to pull back the band and It's like, ooh, what's under there? Ah, that looks interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always find, like, implementations, and especially with a lot of the new tools that are out there, and I'm not going to name them, but there's so many cool... I, I think finally... There's and, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. But I think finally a lot of security vendors caught up to the concept of no one wants a DOS looking UI. Um, people really want an interactive UI mm-hmm. that gives them uh, the ability to 
uh, dig as deep and uh, go into as many layers as possible in order to be able to um, set the right policies and the parameters and so much more that that it's finally starting to come through. Mm-hmm. And then kind of the add, I was mentioning implementation. The other one was risk modeling, but not al- algorithmic per se. Um, when I was talking about a, a risk score and I said like, oh, four or two or four or whatever. So you, you come up with your scoring system. You put the guardrails of that scoring system in there. Um, and maybe use a framework like NIST CSF. I thought I thought that was pretty easy to use. Um, Ninety or so controls, nice. Um, and then uh, initially, what you're going to do is you're going to want to do your first assessment on your own scoring model. And say, hey, does that work or does it not work? And it's uh, working its own and not me touching it, <laughs> which is fun. So how do I get that yeah. score to be whatever it needs to be? And I have all these tools and stuff. Well, how do I integrate that in? And that, oh, that's a ton of fun. And I'm probably going to be consultant after that. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you this: I, I've done I've done a risk modeling um, kind of project before, and I went from a risk score to a dollar value. Mm-hmm. And I found that that communicated so much better with business because everyone awesome. wanted to see that. And as we were updating the kind of the algorithm that we had built into the document, like assessing our, our, our risk, the dollar value kept either increasing or decreasing. And I found that people were more attentive to security uh, because I think a score of one to 10 translates well for us because we're zeros and one kind of guys. Like Mm -hmm. we know four is acceptable risk for us and 10 isn't. Right. That's why our severity scores are like 9.9 and 9.8 and, you know, very, very similar to I don't know if you like Barstool Sports, um, but um, Barstool's has a pizza show where the guy goes and he ranks pizza and he eats pizza all over New York, all over Brooklyn. And he, he, he scores the pizza and I, and I love it. Um, I actually like I have the app, the Barstool's pizza app. That's awesome. And whenever I travel somewhere, I'll go and see where he's been and what score he gave the pizza. Like a 7.8 is really high because he's very cheap with his scores. But a lot of times now he started to make money from this by bringing on all these different celebrities to go with him to a pizza joint. and Uh, rank. there you go. And so he doesn't charge the pizza place anything. You know what I mean? Like he just makes money off of sponsors. Really cool thing. Um, And he has these celebrities and he can tell when a celebrity's never seen it. Because he'll t- take a bite of the pizza and it's, you know, one bite, that's the rule. And he takes one bite of the pizza and based on that one bite, you rank it. But then he'll take like multiple more bites before he does it. Mm-hmm. And he'll be like, well, this is a 6.7. And the celebrity will be like, well, this is an 8. And it's like, you've obviously never seen my episode, right? Because like we we use kind <laughs> of far. like, yeah, like we, we use like the diving rules here. So you can give it a 4.1 if you want, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like the Olympic diving scale. And I felt like in security, using the Olympic diving scale didn't translate well for a lot of the organizations I was working with. And so I ended up switching it to a dollar value scale. And that started to translate. All of a sudden, you know, your chief risk officer or your general counsel looks at it and goes, wait a minute, we have $18 million or 30 or 40 or $50 million worth of risk out there. And you're like, yep. And he goes, well, how much is it going to cost us to fix it? And you're like, probably around two or three million. They're like, let's go cut the check. Because if if we can reduce our, you know, if I got to spend 2 million or reduce my risk from 30 million to 10 million, I'm going to do that. That's, that's, it makes sense. And I'm not saying that the, I'm not saying that the risk score of four doesn't work. Mm-hmm. 
I just yeah. found that that translated better, at least where I've been. Not saying it's right. universal. Yeah, and uh, no, you're, you're hitting on a really good point. When I was mentioning risk materiality before, yeah, the, yeah. The, that's one of the outcomes. I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is this, and this is what that means. It's, it's that what that means. Like, what does that mean to legal? What does that mean to finance? What does that mean to you know the board when they when they're in the committee and they're like, well, you know, uh, it's our annual operating plan time, and Greg said there's just risk, and that's unacceptable. So how do we address that? Well, he prevented he presented the money and like. This is how much it's costing us today. If we don't fix anything, here's our potential cost. Right. Um, and here's what it costs to bring it down from a critical to a high. Here's what it costs bringing that from high to whatever your next score is and yada, yada, yada. Um, and then you've got to include, I think what's also important is including enterprise risk management. So right. your enterprise risk. So the board has deemed that these six risks are the risk of everything, right? Um, so how do you include that into the risk model and do the same exercise with risk materiality? Yeah. So make it meaningful it's like oh well he, he is listening to us and he does want to make it better and he's not looking to just better. randomly spend money i think a lot of times people look at security and think that a CISO, the you know we 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 always blame vendors for fud but then we use fud on the board <laughs> if we don't do this do. then this is going <laughs> to happen it's almost ironic i i think the first time i caught my, i've been guilty of doing this so many times <laughs> i did it last time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the cost of a data breach is this, and here's here's how much it costs for you know right all of a sudden in the United States. All yeah. of a sudden, you realize you're quoting like sales reps from cybersecurity vendors um, emails, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you're like, oh <laughs> no, like I, I did I, it, I did it, I I felt vic- <laughs> and it's so easy sometimes to revert to it because it's natural human instinct when you're getting a lot mm-hmm. of pushback to want to just throw something in someone's face. And that's mm-hmm. not the case. That's just, you, you can't do that. And I mean, I still struggle with it till today. It's something I still struggle with, um, trying to communicate risk or not use FUD. Like, hey, if we don't do this, then we stand the risk of this happening. And I don't want to use that. I want to be able to make a clear business case. But sometimes the pushback is just so intense and your mm-hmm. tip, you know, you're typically the first person that they get rid of when something bad happens. And so yep. you, you're the fall guy. Yep. You're, you're fighting for your job every day. Mm-hmm. Kind of talking about that though. Let's, let's, let's kind of transition to something positive a little bit. So mm-hmm. what are we as security? Uh, what challenges do you see us as security practitioners starting to overcome and what challenges do we still need to master? So let's st- start the first part. What challenges and issues that we were dealing with before that now we're starting to see ourselves really become much better with? Um, I think the challenge was um, getting to the boardroom was probably one of the biggest challenges because like how, how do I elevate the security program? And um, and in some ways you have to leave an organization and go into another one to increase your, you know, your title, right? So, but how do I do that as an intrapreneur, not an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur within your organization, right? So right. that's, uh, how do I have that growth mindset um, inside the organization? How do I get to the board and how do I make it meaningful? Um, and I think today that's, that's something that still needs to be overcome because now we're there. Great, we're in the boardroom. Now how, do, now, how do I just talk about what you and I just chatted about around risk materiality, return on control, all this, you know, all these buzzwords. Um, oh, I love buzzwords. Um, all, all these different you know terms and usage to make it meaningful for the board because now you're I, I've got from earlier today when programming a policy within you know a platform and now I've got to go to the board and say 
well, we have this score and here's what it means to re, you know, to reduce this score and here's how much it's going to cost. But that's a completely different conversation than what you had in the morning when you were typing all that stuff in. So right. I, I think that's, I think that's going to be the challenge. Uh, I think in a foreseeable future, um, it's gotten a little bit easier with COVID-19 because now the board sees risk and they're asking, it's like, well, now I'm working from home and I noticed that this pop-up didn't happen on my laptop, but it happened in the office. So, so how do we fix that? I'm like, great. I have a solution for you. And here's how much it's going to cost. He's like, damn it. <laughs> I, 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 so. I, I find that the whole discussion around security has changed. Uh, I think we always talk seven layers. And I think with COVID, we've reached the eighth layer of hell. Um, yeah. Because it's... <laughs> the nine layers of hell, yeah. 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 We're on the eighth layer. The ninth layer is yeah. still to come. I think oh. wait till the fall. Yeah. Because I think in the second round of COVID... Those who thought they were prepared are going to be unprepared. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some sort of return to some normalcy of life. And then that's going to automatically change drastically quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the Spanish flu, the first wave was contained. The second wave was deadlier than the first wave. Yep. So the second wave of COVID-19, I think, is going to have even a greater impact. And, and I'm not so, wishing that. It's going to provide, yeah, you're right, because it's going to provide that false sense of security, right? It's like, oh, Correct. look, I stayed home for this long period of time, and then we go out, and it's like, boom, there it is again. But guess right. what? It's already spread around the globe. So right. I mean, I mean, this thing started uh, sometime in November in China, and by mm-hmm. December it was in Japan and Korea, and by January it was in Europe, and by February it was in, in, in Western Europe and Asia and, 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 and the subcontinent of Asia, and by March it was in the States. And now it's it's global. Now it's reaching South America and Africa and, and so many other spots. It's 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 what's going to happen yeah. second. Let me ask you this kind of as, as before we kind of uh, wrap up and go into our new fire round. Um, <laughs> <laughs> w- what do you think we do well as a security community to help each other? And what are some of your best practices that you'd like to share with 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 the, the community? Well, I think we do a really good job of talking, you know, to our peers in the own community, uh, whether that be at whatever level, right? Um, I think we do a really good job of that. And I would like to challenge our group, this group, um, to teach to the broader community, right? So now we're, you know, everyone's talking, you know, in our own little groups, and now we're just like everyone else. All the CFOs get together, all the CEOs get together, all the CIOs get together, and now all the CISOs get together. Well, how about we, you know, work with the other groups, and provide the same same level of information, if not a little bit better. Because um, one, you're going to improve yourself. I would apply there is you've got to get out and speak with others. You have to. You absolutely have to. Because what's happening in your organization, it's not the only place it's happening. Um, get the understanding. Don't don't say something you're not supposed to say, but at least. Try to get help and you know, and, and try to get that information to use so you can better help your career within your organization. Uh, but then you become the selling point. And kind of to that point, as leaders, we've got to be able to evangelize our team. I think that's you've got to do it um, because you know, everyone's working like, like we said, twenty four by seven, right? We're all working. We're you know, we have and we still have our day to day to do. We have to do performance reviews and all this, all this other stuff. Evangelize your team. Just sell your team within your organization. Um, empower they, empower, empower your team. them there you go um because those at some level are your inventors of security 
within that organization. And then you become the sellers, you become the ones that's integrated with everyone in the organization. That's huge. That's instrumental to their career, to your career, you name it, to everyone. And I, I think that's one of the things I first get in is like getting an understanding of knowing my team. Um, how can I work with my team? And if you guys like the game, how do you game with your team? I don't know, whatever. It's whatever you want to do, but you know, your team is your team. It's like your family. You spend a good half of your day, um, you know, working with them. Well, you know, I spend the other half of my family. So guess what? It sounds like I have two families to me. So, so how do you work with that team? Yeah, it's it's always it's very fascinating when you empower your team. The kind of security awareness you build within your organization, it, because it's one thing for us as CISOs to go and evangelize security. It's another thing for someone in your. Um, in your security engineering team or infrastructure team or architecture team to go and talk to DevOps or talk to, you know, actual engineering or, or, or s- other people. And they're speaking a similar language and they share similar hobbies. And, you know, now they're getting beers after, after work. And now as things happen, there's that trust between those two people that creates a bridge to where he's going to pick up the phone before he does something and consult security because he trusts the guy. They've gone to shows, they've gotten beers, they've you know they've been to bars and pubs, and you know they grabbed yep. lunch a few times. And a CISO can't do that. Y- y- you you got to evangelize your CFO. You've got to evangelize your CIO, your CEO, your COO, your CMO, your chief revenue officer, your general counsel. You're you're at that upper level. And, 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 and not in a, in a title like we're too fancy to go down that lower level. I, in fact, like going down a layer or two. I think there's um, you learn a lot more there because you, you, you really get to the underbelly that uh, your, your counterpart, who's the other C-level in that department, isn't really going to share with you because he doesn't want his the dirty. Context. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't want his dirty secret. Like we don't either as security folks. Like which one of us wants our security guys going and saying like, you know, we could really, you know, we're, we're so susceptible to a ransomware attack. You don't understand. Like it can happen like that. And you're like, shut up. What are you doing? And <laughs> yeah. And we know what you did last night. Oh, <laughs> that, 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 that's the yeah. constant thing. I, I mean, yeah. it, there, there's so much to, to it as a community. I think I, I will tell you this. When I started this podcast, um, I started it because I wanted to have these practitioner talks and for a little while kind of lost track of it because there's so much noise. And now that we've kind of like rebranded and come back and I've called this the CISO talk, I really, and in you being my first episode, I'm so psyched about it because I feel like this is the kind of content and conversations we really need to have more of on a wider mm-hmm. level because the people who are going to listen to this podcast aren't just CISOs. It's cybersecurity right. practitioners from all levels, from a SOC analyst to, you know, a threat hunter. And I think as they hear more about it, they're going to start coming to us as CISOs and saying, Hey, I'd really like to be a bigger part of security. Uh, you know, here's an idea. Let's execute it. And, and, and that's the goal. And it's huge, right? Because now you're in a role of networking. You're, you're connecting different groups of people together. Um, and going back to the, you know, the point and within the organization, like, Hey, the, you know, somebody on the team is going to meet up with somebody in DevOps and they're having beers together. Well, now you've created security champions within the organization. So you're, right. you're building, you know, the, those kind of relationships and that, that's key within the organization and outside of the organization. I think that's huge. If you look at it from work from home, 
I think um, my most successful teams are the one where I've done just that. And now in quarantine, these guys are jumping on their own virtual coffee, they're on their own Slack channel, and they're talking. And so I don't have that gap that I have to worry about. Whereas Mm -hmm. in other organizations, if you're not able to really deploy it, you're really sweating it right now because you don't know what's going on. You don't know who's putting up a cloud instance where Mm -hmm. you don't have that visibility. You're not hearing anything because you... You're not able to go and, and talk to these people and kind of figure out what they're working on. And it's very different to do a conversation um, on Zoom and not read someone's body language than it is to look at them at a break room or in their office or in a meeting room. Yeah, exactly. You, you um, tend to know how to dig more. Dig deep, dig more. Yep. So let's sure. get into our CISO insight round, kind of like our fire round. So for those <laughs> kind of tuning in, uh, previously I used to kind of say, ask people one or two questions. This is a essentially a, 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 a six-question um, fire round to get to answer by one word, one word only. Um, you can't say more than one if you'd like. Um, you can. Okay. Thank All you. right. You can. If you need to explain yourself, you can. Although on some of them, I may not let you. On one, I will. On one, on I have to. You, I, 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 I'm <laughs> so, so I'm going to take us to our buzzword graveyard and have you pick one buzzword you'd get rid of forever. So I'm going to pick two because they're always used together, and that's ML and AI. <laughs> that drives me nuts. Anyway, sorry. I, I love it. Yeah, I'll, I'll totally agree with that, and I won't dig deeper. I want to get get through this round. So, one technology that's going to change the way we do cybersecurity. Uh, it's two words, but it's attack simulation. So the context is uh, uh, organizations have this annual pen test boondoggle, is what right. I call it. So you spend a lot of wheels getting everyone doing this pen test, and it's you know time consuming. Then you got to go back and fix everything. Attack simulation is an integration into the development pipeline, getting everything to the beginning, and using those security researchers to do that for you. Find the bad stuff. So attack simulation. Last book you read? Uh, Jim Collins, uh, Going From Good to Great. I actually have that book right here somewhere. It's here somewhere. Yeah, and why I like that is because it talks about disciplined people, disciplined thought, disciplined action. Um, but what really stuck out was the flywheel and the doom wheel. Uh-huh. Um, and the third point in there is confront the brutal facts. I was on page 65. And because most organizations get stuck in this mindset, hey, you know, if I get to the other side of project or whatever, whatever, it's going to be great. But, you know, is that busy work or is that time what you're supposed to be really be working on? That is uh, so very true. I, I have the book and I thought I had it here, but apparently I probably have it next to my uh, nightstand upstairs. Um, I'm trying to look in your shelf there. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I've got some really good books here. Um, I, I got a lot of cyber books, um, and then I've got the Lean Startup. Um, I've got the uh, Devil in the Beltway. That's a that's that's a really good cyber book. Um, Michael's a book. I had him on the podcast before. I've got okay. Grimm's Pain, the Equifax story. Um, oh, fantastic! Um, I, I have a signed copy actually right here. Actually, right next to my computer, right there, I've got a. People can't see it in the shot because I've organized the camera, but I have a iMac <laughs> that's out of shot, and next to my iMac, I have Graham's uh, book. It's a constant reminder for me. Um, his book is a constant reminder to me of uh, being prepared 
for a breach and not allowing yourself to to be scapegoated like he, he what he had to go through. So, last movie you saw? Uh, My Spy. Really? Yeah. Why? Do you want to have a kid? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's okay. Your yeah. favorite music, like it can be a band or a genre. Uh, genre. So, '90s grudge. '90s grudge. Well, I could totally see you in '90s yeah. grudge, man. Well, when I had hair, it was you know more meaningful. But yeah, not, not anymore. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, that, that that is something. It's so funny because I think in in cyber, like rock and metal is almost like the uniform music. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I have my own music. I listen to a lot of Israeli music, um, which which my wife absolutely hates. Um, and she's Israeli because I listen to like what I like to call like the rap version of Israeli music and um, not, not very frowned upon. Apparently, um, <laughs> one th- and 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 the final question for this insight round is one thing you took away from the COVID nineteen crisis. I still don't get it. <laughs> oh no! But a real takeaway is um, I think I think I mentioned it last time that security really is the business enabler um, that's allowed us to get us to where we are today. Um, we talk about digital transformation. We talk about all that stuff, but in order to get there, what are the guardrails? And the, that's where security comes in. That is absolutely and so very true. Greg, I want to say thank you so much for agreeing to be my first guest on the CISO Talk. Um, um, this episode is um, very meaningful to me because it's it's the beginning of executing a vision that started two years ago this week with this podcast. And um, where it's gone over the last two years has been absolutely just, it's been a great journey. I thought this was kind of a hobby. It's become a job. On top of being a CISO, this has become a job. And the interactions and the conversations are what drives us to become better and better and better. And so I'm grateful for you to share your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm eternally grateful. Folks, I'm Greg McCord, um, Global Head of InfoSec at CalAMP. Thank you, Greg. Thank thank you very much for having me, James. True pleasure. Folks, this is not going anywhere. We've got a great episode coming to you. We're starting these with once a week. As we get more and more, we'll probably be releasing here uh, multiple podcasts a month, maybe more than four, five, six, eight, as many as we can get through talking to so many different uh, chief information security officers and um, heads of uh, InfoSec from all over. Um, In our next episode, I am going to have an old friend of the show, um, Kosar Kenning from E-Trade. We're going to talk about user behavior and uh, data analytics in cyber now in the era of work from home and how important those play into a security program and how do you get those data sets into cyber. So it's going to be a really, really cool episode. Um, make sure you tune in, subscribe if you haven't subscribed and a lot more coming with that. And we've got a lineup of amazing and smart people like Greg that are going to be coming on the show. So until next time, folks, enjoy the rest of your week. And very important is to stay cyber safe.